Today's scripture is from James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. All right, my name is, uh, thanks, Jen. Uh, my name is Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I am also, I am also a sucker for a good graduation speech. And one of my favorite uh, is one from Denzel Washington uh, almost 10 years ago at UPenn. And Denzel begins by saying, uh, fall forward. And he goes, what do I mean by that? And he goes, did you know that Reggie Jackson is top 15 all time in most home runs? Top 15. But did you also know that Reggie Jackson is number one for most strikeouts in baseball history. And he goes, fall forward. Thomas Edison, inventor of the light bulb, but did you know that prior to the invention of the light bulb, Edison had 1,000 failed experiments? You know what 1,001 was? The light bulb. So he goes, fall forward. And Denzel goes, the only thing that you should ever fall back on in life is your faith. But for everything else, fall forward. Now, if, you're a, um, if you consider yourself a trailblazing maverick, you love speeches like this. You're thinking, let's go. This is why I get up in the morning and you know, I want to change the world. But for those of us who tend to be a tad bit more risk averse, you're thinking to yourself, inspirational, sure, but in reality, what you're saying is super terrifying and really scary, and you're right. And so here's what I wanna say. Whether you consider yourself a trailblazing maverick or you consider yourself someone that's extremely risk averse, I do think that all of us are sort of on the spectrum somewhere where we all are risk takers to one degree or another. You would not be here in New York City if you weren't just a tad bit of a risk taker. So moving to a new city, it's a risk. Coming to a new church, it's a risk. Starting your own startup, it's a risk. Asking someone out on a date, that's a terrifying risk. Uh, changing your baby's nap time, that's a risk because that could affect your nap time. Um, riding the subway today is taking a risk. So to one degree or another, we are all risk takers, okay? So here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about entrepreneurship and risk. Now, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about entrepreneurship, although you can make the case that starting a church is not that different from starting a startup. You still need a 501c3 bank account. You need a, a website, a clear mission, vision, values. It's not that you gotta raise money. It's not that different from a, a, a typical startup. And when you take a look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he was bivo, tent maker by day, started churches by night. 
So the church loosely does talk about entrepreneurship, but even though it doesn't talk a whole lot about entrepreneurship in the Bible, the Bible does talk a lot about things around entrepreneurship. For example, our fears, taking risks, our control issues, uh, failure, rejection. It does talk a whole lot about those things. And unless we are able to change our relationship with some of these things, like our fear of failure, you will never do great things. And I believe that every one of you here with your life, you want to do something great with your life, do you not? I believe that every one of us here has a passion to do something significant with our lives. Even if you're a little bit older and more jaded, I still believe that there's some kindling in you where you want to do something meaningful and great in your life. And so whether it's changing the world or even changing a diaper, which is very meaningful, every one of us wants to do something great. But if you want to do that, you have to change your relationship with at least three things. Number one, risk. Number two, you have to change your relationship with rejection and failure. And number three, you have to change your relationship with your reason or purpose. So risk, rejection, and your reason. So take a look with me in verse 13. James says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. So here James is talking to middle, upper class working professionals, like many of you here in this room. And what James is doing here is he is critiquing the mindset of these middle, upper class working professionals. And what he's critiquing in particular is their illusion of control, okay? So something that happens, so when you're super educated, you have some money and you have power, when you have these three things, what ends up happening is that you think you have more control over your life than you really, really do. But James follows up here by saying in verse 14, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so what James is saying here is this, you think you're in control over your life? You're not. And if anything, COVID has been an excellent educator for us, teaching us about the unpredictability of life and that we are not in control over our lives as much as we think uh, we are. And so what James is saying here is this, if your mindset is, by the time I'm in my 40s, I'm gonna get married, gonna have two kids, a dog, and live happily ever after, you know what James would say to you? why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. If your mindset is, I'm gonna graduate from college, go to business school, work in finance, retire by 50, live happily ever after, you know what James will say to you? Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Now, is there anything wrong with setting goals for this year or the next 10 years of our lives? Of course not. But what James is critiquing here is the idea or the notion that we are the masters of our own fate and the commander of our own destiny. And what James is saying here is this, not so fast. 
you are not as in control over your life as you think you are. And he double downs on this by not only saying, you, you do not know what will happen tomorrow, but he additionally says, your life is like a mist that appears and then poof, it vanishes forever. Now what does this have to do with our relationship, the brevity of life, not knowing tomorrow? What does that have to do with our relationship with risk? the brevity of our life and not knowing what's gonna to happen tomorrow. I'll tell you a story. Um, this verse has a lot of uh, sentimental value for me, uh, James 4.14, because all the way back in 1997, when I graduated high school, I went on a mission trip to Mexico. Our village happened to be right on the beach. On the last day of our village ministry, my team captain and I, we decided to go swimming. And so to give you just some context behind this, um, I grew up going to the beach every summer. At one point in my life, in my 20s, I used to surf quite regularly. I love the beach. But I had never experienced anything like this before because on that day, my team leader and I, we got sucked in by a riptide that was so strong, we could not get out. And where we were in Mexico, there were no lifeguards. There, there were hardly any people, it was just us. And no one could see that we were just drowning. Everyone was like playing soccer on the, on the shore, screaming for help, no one could see us. And to make a very, very long story short, somehow the both of us were able to survive and the next morning, I woke up in the emergency room with tubes in my arm and tubes up my nose. And there was a Bible that was next to me and I grabbed the Bible and I did what most people do when they don't know how to handle the Bible. I just opened it to some random page, like a fortune cookie. It happened to land on James chapter four. And I remember my young 18-year-old self reading James 4, 14. Why you do not even know what's gonna happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist or a vapor that appears and then poof, it vanishes forever. And I remember thinking at the age of 18, I should be dead. I, I, I stared at death in the face. There are many ways to die in life. Drowning is gotta be one of the worst ways to die. I was staring death right in the face. At one moment, I thought I was gonna die and I, I gave up. And I thought to myself, the only reason why I'm alive is by the grace of God. And what that means is, however long God gives me, I have to live for something bigger than myself. I can't just live for a paycheck. I can't just live to go to this school. I can't just live to make money and travel. I have to live for something bigger than myself. And at that moment, it changed the entire trajectory of my life. And that's the seminal moment in my life where I started thinking about going into full-time ministry. Now, to be clear, I am not saying that you have to go into full-time ministry. In the previous chapter, James chapter three, he makes it clear that not many of you should go into full-time ministry or presume to be teachers. But what I am saying is this, life is very short and you have to live for something that is far bigger than yourself. 
You can't just live for a paycheck. You can't just live for traveling and eating decadent food, such as the mindset uh, was of these working class professionals during James's time. And what that means is if you're gonna live for something bigger than yourself, there are some seminal moments and seasons in your life where you have got to take a risk. Life is so short. And there are some seasons in our life where you have to take a risk. And this is the comfort that we have in Christianity as we think about what it means to take risk. In Proverbs 16:9, it says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And what this verse is saying is make plans and make goals, but also know in the back of your head that God also has plans and goals for your life as well, even if you might not understand those plans or even be agreeable with those plans. That as you make your plans, the comfort that we have is that God is also establishing the steps that we take and that he is in full control. And what that allows us to do is to take risk and also to embrace uncertainty, knowing that he knows the future. We don't know what the future holds, but he is the one that holds our future, which is why we can take a risk. Bob Goff once said this on Twitter, embrace uncertainty. Some of the most beautiful chapters in our lives won't have a title until much later. Why can we embrace it? Because he is in control, and even though we don't know the future, we know the one who holds the future, and that is him. So take a risk. Jimmy Carter, the former president, once said, go out on a limb, that's where the fruit is. Les Brown gives a more descriptive picture of, what, of why we should take risks, and he says this, imagine being on your deathbed and standing around your bed are the ghosts of the ideas, the dreams, the abilities, the talents given to you by life, but for whatever reason, you never acted on those ideas. You never pursued that dream. You never used those talents. We never saw your leadership. You never used your voice. You never wrote that book. And there they are, standing around your bed, looking at you with large, angry eyes, saying, we came to you, and only you could have given us life. Now we must die with you forever. So the question is, if you die today, what ideas, what dreams, what abilities, what talents, what gifts would die with you? What is one innovative, crazy idea that you should be taking a risk on today? It could be a new product line. It could be taking post-bac classes and pivoting careers. It could be what my wife did just a few months ago. She wrote her first book. What is one crazy, innovative idea that you should be taking a risk on today. Now that is scary, but again, you have to know that God is in control over your life and he is the one that establishes your steps, which gives us the freedom to change our relationship with risk, knowing that he's in control, but it not only changes our relationship with risk, but it also changes, he also changes our relationship with rejection and failure. And here's what I mean. In verse 15, it says, James says, instead, 
you know, instead of saying today or tomorrow, we'll, we'll go to this and that city, he says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So the posture of these middle upper class working professionals was, you know, today we'll go to Paris, tomorrow we'll go to London, we'll spend a year in Europe, we'll invest in crypto, and we'll live happily ever after. That was like the mindset of these middle upper class working professionals. And what James is critiquing here is sort of that zeitgeist. And what he's saying instead is this. Instead of making those kinds of plans where you're the master of your own fate, the Christian response to risk and rejection and failure is Lord willing. If God wants this, it'll happen. If he doesn't want this, it's not going to happen. But either way, it was meant to be Lord willing. So I'll, I'll tell you a story. So seven and a half years ago, our church started. We started with five people, including me and my wife. So we started with five people and we met in a living room. Five people and $8,000. $4,000 was given to us by a church that closed down its doors. And they said, as we close our doors, we want to open up new doors. So they gave us $4,000 and what was left in their account. Another $4,000 came from uh, two of the people in our core group. So we had $8,000. My wife uh, at one point used to be an event planner and she found us our previous uh, venue that we used to meet in. It was like a yoga dance studio. That was $2,000 a month. So do the math, we had $8,000. Rent, $2,000 a month. I wasn't getting paid. So we have four months to float. Our second service ever, we collected $104 for, uh, for offering. $104. Afterwards, we used to have a time of Q&A. We bought four boxes of pizza and two Cokes. You know how much that cost? $104. <laughs> we broke even. We didn't even make a penny. Uh, that's one week away. That's one week taken away out of the four months that we have left. <laughs> But I thought to myself, this is awesome. Like, this is, this is why we're here. Right? This is why we're here in New York City. There's, like, skeptics all over the place. Like, this is why we're here. And by that moment in my life, by, that, by this juncture of my life, I thought to myself, you know what, God? Even if this doesn't work, this church thing, even if I fail, I'm good with it. Like, this is not my identity. This is not who I am. This, the success of this project doesn't, doesn't determine my dignity, value, and worth. So I'm, I, honestly, I'm okay with it. And even if it fails, I know that you're using my failures to prepare me for the next best thing. So Lord willing, this will work. But even if it doesn't, it's not a part of your will, I'm okay with it. Now, if you had asked me that five years prior, I would have said, no, <laughs> this needs to work. This is God, this is my identity. What are people going to say? I'm going to disappoint other people. I'm, I'm impacting other people's lives. This has got to work. But years later, I had gotten to the point, Lord willing, if I fail, it's fine. God is just going to use this moment to prepare me for the next uh, best thing. Once you change your relationship with rejection and failure, then you can start taking risks. Once you start taking risks, you can do something great. One of my favorite quotes is from Scott McClellan. And sometimes you'll hear me um, see brief excerpts from this quote, but I wanted to read you the whole thing because it's one of my personal favorite. And McClellan says, for years, 
I never understood why I didn't have stories like my dad, but now I do. There was one difference between my childhood, childhood and his, risk. It wasn't until I encountered this truth that without conflict of stories incomplete, did my life change. All our favorite films and books are telling us the same thing. Safety is not what you were made for. Most of us want our lives to matter, but few are living differently. Why is this? Because we're afraid of the cost. I know I am. We know that it's only in the throes of danger that men and women become heroes. And this scares us as it should. But we must consider the cost of not risking safety and comfort. Where would Middle Earth be if Bilbo Baggins had never left the Shire? What would, it, what would have become of a galaxy far, far away if Luke Skywalker stayed on the farm? In our own lives, there is a similar question. And just to put a more biblical stamp on this, who would Rahab be if she did not take a risk bringing in those spies? Who would Queen Esther be if she did not risk her life? Who would the Apostle Paul be if he didn't risk his life on a day-to-day basis? And so my question to you is this, in the story of your life, who are you not becoming because you're too afraid to take a risk? Which character are you not fully blooming to because you are not taking a risk in your life? Safety is not what you were meant for. You were meant to to do great things because great things are in you. So who are you not becoming because you're too afraid to take a risk? And so whether you are a student, a stay-at-home mom or dad, or a C-level person, when nothing is happening, take a risk. You know why? Because if you don't, you know what's going to happen? Nothing. If things are going good, take a risk. Because if you don't, what's going good might not be good for long. What, what works today might not work tomorrow. If things are going bad, take a risk. You know why? Because if you don't, things are just going to continue to go bad. The Christian response is Lord willing. I will take a, a risk because I know at the end of the day that God is in control of all things. So we need to change our relationship with risk. We need to change our relationship with rejection and failures, but there's one last thing that we also need to change our relationship with if we wanna do great things, and it's also our sense of reason, our purpose in life. And in verse 17, James says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So sin isn't just doing bad things. Sin is also uh, not doing good things. Does that make sense? It's not just doing bad things, but not doing the good that you ought to do. I think a good summarization of this is the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents, there's a rich man, and he gives three men money. To the first man, he gives five talents. To the second man, he gives three talents. And to the third man, he gives one talent. The person with the five talents took a risk and he invested his money and he made five more talents for a total of 10 talents. The person with three talents took a risk. 
He, invent, he invested his money, and he made three more talents for a total of six talents. But do you know what the person with one talent did? He did not take a risk. He was not ambitious. If anything, he was slothful and lazy. So he buried that one talent underneath, this, underneath the ground. So when the rich man comes, he asks the person with the one talent, what did you do with the one talent that was given to you? And so he says he buried it under the ground because he was afraid to do anything with the money. And so the rich man says to the man with the one talent, well, you should have at least put it in the bank so that it could collect interest. And so he takes that one talent from the man with the one and he gives it to the man uh, with the 10 talents. This man was not willing, was not doing something that he was supposed to do. And my question to you is, are you, are you not doing something right now that you ought to be doing? Now, I am not saying that if you don't pursue your dreams, that is a sin. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is this. If God gives you talents and gifts and you're not exercising those talents to live for something bigger than yourself, then I would say that that is a sin. Sin is not just doing bad things, but it's not doing the good things that we also ought to be doing. This is why I love shows like Shark Tank, because they're doing things, good things, for the flourishing of humanity. So my question to you again is this, is there something that you should be doing with your life that you're not doing right now? Sometimes one of the things that holds us back from pursuing new dreams is that we're still holding on to old dreams. So one of the things that we have to be reminded of is that we have to know when there are times to let go of these old dreams so that we can pursue uh, new dreams as well. Sometimes we're paralyzed by our control issues, by fear, by failure, by disappointing others. And so we have to change our relationship with these things. What is the one thing that we see ad nauseum at our church? What is the most repeated command in the Bible? Do not fear. So if you really believe that God is in control of your life, it liberates you from being paralyzed by these different fears that oftentimes uh, enslave us. And so we have to also change our relationship with our reason. Why are you here? Is it just to make money and travel the world? Or is your reason and purpose in life to live for something bigger than yourself? Peter Thiel and N.T. Wright, Peter Thiel, uh, founder of PayPal, I think a billionaire, and N.T. Wright, <laughs> a, a British bishop, a startup guy, mogul, a, a theologian having a conversation on imagining the future and innovation. And one of the things that they both say is to work on problems people aren't working on. What is your reason? Uh, I was mentioning before that my wife wrote a book uh, a few months ago. I didn't tell you what the book was about. It's about raising awareness for nut allergies. Uh, my oldest daughter, Logan, is allergic to peanuts and tree nuts. I don't know if you knew this or not, but peanuts are not, actually not nuts. They're legumes. So she's allergic to peanuts and tree nuts. She's anaphylactic. And so my wife wanted to write a book to raise awareness about nut allergies and potentially save a kid's life. She also put in Asian representation and also people of color because representation really, really, really matters. Right? So why is she doing this? To do good, 
to love God and to love our neighbors. Is it to make a buck? No, we're losing money as we speak. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> don't make money writing poor books. We're losing money right now. But she wrote it because she wanted to contribute to the flourishing of humanity, to live for something bigger than herself, to think that a child's life could be saved just by reading this book, by being equipped on asking if there are nuts and food. What is your reason, your purpose? And when you think about what the gospel is, Jesus doesn't look at our world and he goes, oh man, there's like problems everywhere. I wonder who's gonna do something about it. No, instead he enters into our world, into our muck, into our problems, and he fixes it. He did not come to make money and travel the world and eat decadent food. That's not why he came. He came to serve, not to be served. Not at the risk of his life, but actually at the cost of his life. And why? Because his burning passion, his reason for coming was you. It's not his business. It was not a product. It was you. That was his reason. That's why he came. And in the world's eyes, everything that he did looked like failure. He was rejected by men. He ended up dying on a cross. Failure disappointed so many people. But in God's eyes, that act of rejection and failure, it, 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 it was not a failure. It was his greatest act of achievement. He went through all of those things to experience this amazing work for us done on the cross. It was his greatest act of success. So if I can just close with two things for today. The first is this. You can actually take a risk right now uh, at this moment. And here's what I mean. Peter Drucker is a name that many of you might be familiar with, sort, sort of the Yoda on all things related to leadership. He was having a conversation with Rick Warren. And Rick says to Peter Drucker, when did you find Christ and put your faith in Jesus? And this is what Drucker says. He says, when I finally understood the concept of grace, you know, what is grace? I don't do any work. He does all the work. All I get is forgiveness. So he says, when I finally understood the concept of grace, I knew I was never going to get a better deal than this. Placing your faith in Jesus is a risk. Following Jesus today is a risk. There's no social benefit to following Jesus today. There's only social cost. It's a risk. You might lose people in your life. But this, as Pascal would say, is the greatest wager or bet that you can make in your life. Placing your faith in him, as risky as it might be, but that choice is ultimately up to you. But that risk is the greatest risk you can take. Here's the second one. Dorothy would have never been Dorothy had she not left Kansas. So take a risk. Do something bold. When you take a look at people who have done great things in their life, they're not standing on top of a mountaintop of success. They're usually standing on top of a mountaintop of failures. So take a calculated risk. Do something bold. Trust God, or as Augustine would say, love God and do what you will. But don't be paralyzed by your fears. Don't be paralyzed by what other people might think, but take a calculated risk. And whatever you do, whether you're changing the world, helping, helping refugees, or you're changing a diaper, which is equally as important because you're changing a life of a little human being. So whether you're changing the world or changing a diaper, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And now is the time. When you get older, you have kids, get married, 
you, you, you become more and more risk averse. Now is the time to change the narrative of your life, to do something bold, to take a risk, and in whatever you do, do something great for the glory of God. That's what God wants for you. That's what I want for every one of you. And I know that that is also what you want for yourself. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes it feels like we're running on a treadmill. We're running and running and we're not going anywhere. And so there are sometimes seminal moments in our life where we need to make a wise, calculated risk. We cannot be foolish but we can't be paralyzed by fear either. And somewhere along the lines, there needs to be a trust in you, knowing that we have the greatest resource of all, which is you. And so help us to change our relationship with risk, with failure and rejection, and with our reason. And help us to change our relationship with you, trusting you as we do the things that we do. In your name I pray.